Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through that illusion of separation. And I trust something that you hear in the next hour will open you to the possibility of welcoming your pain and maybe even understanding the deeper meaning of your individual and our collective suffering. Yes, Modern civilization has itself become a depressing phenomenon predicated on principles that separate human beings from the feelings of connectedness and wholeness, without which happiness cannot be found. Our guest today says that psychic pain, like physical pain, exists for a reason. It should be listened to for the messages and addressed on a causal level. She claims there is a spectrum of normal human suffering that calls for spiritual, not medical intervention. I can't wait to get into this conversation. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind. Connect with your heart. And settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest. And she needs little introduction. Marianne Williamson is an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer. Six of her 10 published books have been New York Times bestsellers. And her new book, Only Out for a Few Weeks, is already on that New York Times bestselling list. Her books include A Return to Love, A Year of Miracles, The Law of Divine Compensation, The Age of Miracles, A Course in Weight Loss, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, Illuminata, and The Gift of Change. I think all of those are on my library shelf. I love Marianne Williamson. She's been a popular guest on television programs such as Oprah, Good Morning America, and Charlie Rose, and there's so much more we can say about her, but I'm just delighted to bring her on. So let's do that. Welcome, Marianne. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Marianne. What a a beautiful book. I am excited to get into this and can't wait to really um, cover many, many, many things in your new book, Tears to Triumph. The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. But first, Marianne, on our show, we have a traditional first question that helps us kind of set our conversation into a larger meme here. So I want to start with that and ask, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, as a student of metaphysics, I recognize that the material world in which time and space predominate. Time and space form the mental filter through which we see. I'm looking at a chair and that seems disconnected from the table that is next to it. And you seem disconnected to me because you're in a body that's separate from mine in another place in time and space. But there is a reality, actually a greater reality, which lies beyond the reality that my physical senses perceive. And there, there is no separation. There is really no place where you stop and I start. 
In the realm of the body, of course, there's a place where you stop and I start. But on the realm of eternal mind or spirit, which is the essence of who we are, we're more like waves in the ocean. There's really no place where one stops and the other starts. And that, to me, is the interconnectedness of all things, that we have a mental filter which sees events as separate from each other and people as separate from each other, when in fact there's a wave. We're not a bunch of particles. We're one big wave. And that shift into that realization of interconnectedness changes our psychological and emotional relationship to everything because it changes our sense of who we are and it changes our sense of who we are in relationship to everyone and everything else. Mm. Well, thank you for that because when I hear you answer that, I'm also hearing the undercurrent of your new book and talking about our cultural epidemic of depression that's really sweeping through society and and how coming from the mind of this physical material world we we see everything as separate and and then again as you're talking about going into our essence we we see that interconnectedness let's talk about that from this framework if you want to introduce um the concepts of the book tears to triumph we're really looking at individual and collective depression and how we are over medicating and and really what that means and you take a different um approach to it by introducing us to the spiritual work right So, let's say we were talking before about seeing yourself as a wave that's part of the whole ocean. But in A Course in Miracles, it says you are like waves thinking you are separate from other waves. And that's the world of separation, the lack of connectedness. Now, if I think of myself as a wave surrounded by the ocean but separate from the ocean, how could I not be terrified of the ocean? How could I not be terrified that in any moment I would be obliterated by other waves? How could I not feel that I was in competition with the other waves? And that's how most of us live, in this state of separation or belief in separation, where, of course, we're lonely, of course, we feel isolated, and, of course, we feel depressed. And so the entire mindset which dominates the world, but particularly the mindset which dominates a culture like ours at this time, is a repudiation of the deepest truth of who we are. So the pain that we experience here is a natural consequence of the mindset that dominates here. Now, the, what everybody's saying, of course, is that we have an epidemic of depression in the United States. The greater depression is the depression of over-medication, and particularly an epidemic of the prescription of antidepressants to people who are not experiencing serious mental conditions. There is a spectrum of normal human suffering. Let's say you went through a bitter divorce, a painful breakup, a professional failure, financial hardship, someone that you love died. These things are painful, but they are part of life. They are not a mental illness. And you can't really learn how to navigate life if you're not making part of that. You're learning how to navigate the the painful moments in life, the dark nights of the soul. And it infantilizes us emotionally and psychologically if any time 
something too painful happens that is within that normal spectrum. You know, I'm not talking about schizophrenia here, not talking about bipolar disease, I'm not talking about serious mental illness. I'm talking about the fact that the normal disappointments and pains of life are not a serious mental illness. But we have imposed over the last few years a medical model onto deep, deep sadness and called it a disorder. Everybody has an anxiety disorder, a depressive disorder. And it's really become something extraordinary and extraordinarily dysfunctional. I hear, I can't tell you the stories I've heard since this book came out. I, I hear stories of people who have four of their children, all four teenagers on anti-anxiety medication. I hear of like a 13-year-old on Wellbutrin. People have no idea, it seems, that the, you know, we need to step back and look at this. Meanwhile, you have the spiritual traditions, all of them. And the three I talk about in the, in the book are the light of Buddha, the light of the Old Testament, Moses, and the light of Jesus. All the great spiritual traditions actually speak to the issue of human suffering. And human suffering is the natural consequence, as I said, of living outside the recognition of who we truly are as spiritual beings. When, when you start making anything but love the sense of who you are, and when you start making anything but love a sense of your purpose on this earth, you are casting yourself into the outer kingdoms. This is the meaning of the exile from the garden. You are casting yourself onto the mental kingdoms of chaos and randomness where nothing seems to make sense. You don't know who you are. You don't know who other people are. You don't know how to build relationships. You don't know your purpose on the earth. And this is hell. This is the real meaning of hell. It's anxiety, depression, and so forth. But then the forces, which, which rule the very mindset which causes all this pain, has now come up with this brilliant solution, which is, oh, you're sick, take this pill, you know, when in fact, why, if this is a spiritual crisis, which is what this all is, why would we look to a corner of the society that doesn't even factor spirit into their calculations to solve the problem? So psychotherapeutic drugs, certainly for serious mental illness, I'm, that's, that's a whole other conversation, one in which I'm not an expert, and I'm sure that it's life-saving in certain cases. But what's happening today is we're taking no, no, the normal spectrum of human suffering and seeing it as a disease, seeing ourselves as the victims of it, and we, there is an alternative to this, and this is seeing these painful periods of life as the dark night of the soul, the time during which many of us, myself included, have learned the deepest lessons and done the greatest growth. Mm, thank you. Yeah, you talk about avoiding this suffering as denying our healing. And I really mm -hmm. appreciate your approach of, of really calling forward a spiritual medicine in the book and helping us look at that. How can you help our listeners ease into this mindset of really embracing our pain and embracing it as a really healthy part of our healing and becoming whole versus this, you know, I, I love you how you talked about the pharmaceutical industry as well, that it's this big profit center and, and really taking advantage of just normal, mm -hmm. like you talked about, I, and I appreciate you saying this normal spectrum of, of really pain and suffering, grief. Deep, deep sadness. So, how can we ease our listeners into? Well, I really think the first thing that? is to say, I, I'm, I'm not really saying embrace your suffering, but I am saying give yourself permission to grieve, which is mm -hmm. the same thing. You know, when I was 
a child and somebody lost their husband or their wife or a family member, it was understood that there would be this period of, of, of grief and this was to be respected and, and the society gave social permission and emotional, psychological permission. It was understood that sad things happen and that when sad things happen, people are sad. You know, humanity would not have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years unless it were imbued with a mechanism that allows us to take a hit. Your, your physical body has an immune system. It, it, the body, you know, when the immune system is healthy, this is why, an, you know, a, a failed immune system is so dangerous. A healthy immune system allows the body to absorb quite a bit of injury and disease and to heal from it. But the psyche has an immune system, too. Humanity would also not have evolved were we not able to f- forbear a lot of a psychological and emotional hit as well. And that's what grief is. But we have just imposed this business model on everything. Be productive. You know, get up. You shouldn't be sad. Just tell that emotion to go away. It's not as simple as that. If, if I'm in a car accident and my body is bruised, it's understood that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be bruised for a while. I'm going to have to be gentle with my body. And in time, I will heal. So when we are going through sadness, you know, this jumped everybody, oh my God, you know, maybe this has gone on too long, maybe she needs medication, we, or, or not even that, you know, people who go to a just doctor once and say, I've been down, and the doctor says, you know, maybe I should give you a little something. This is, this is actually numbing ourselves to pain that we had best not numb ourselves to. Why is that? Well, first of all, if you look at the situations which usually cause pain, let's say your business failed. Let's say you lost a lot of money. Let's say you got a divorce. Okay. Now, I have had all three of those situations pretty much in spades. Heartbreak, romantic heartbreak, you know, uh, professional failure, and lost a lot of money. Okay, I've had all three of those. Now, this is what I know from having been through all three of those things. Whether I was able to allow myself to see it at the beginning or not, ultimately I came to realize where my behavior had been part of the problem. And those are some of the most painful nights. Those are some of the most, you know, those are the sleepless nights. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have done this? Or how could I not have done that? Now, it's burning through that, that then in all three situations, burning through all those things are what led me to a place within myself of number one, atoning for my errors. Atonement is that cosmic reset. In Catholicism, it's confession. In Judaism, it's the holiest day of the year or Yom Kippur. In the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's where you have to take a fearless moral inventory Admit the exact nature of your wrongs. Make an amends where you owe an amends. Otherwise, you cannot move forward. But it's painful recognizing that. The other pain is when someone else has hurt you, to know that where there is no forgiveness, you know, miracles ride in on, on thoughts of love. And unforgiveness is a withhold of love. And if I'm withholding love to the other person, I'm withholding love and new beginnings from myself. But that's going to take some sleepless nights. And then the other thing, not only is it, for me, you know, the pain of seeing some of the ways that I've quote-unquote blown it in my life, then there's death, let's say. My parents have died, my sister has died, my best friend has died, but I can tell you the lessons I learned from those tears, too. I now know, viscerally, 
not just intellectually, I know viscerally, this particular mortal incarnation does not and will not last forever. So what I know is suck the juice out of that which remains. Love the people that you love. Because either they're going to leave or you're going to leave. But this, is, this particular thing is not lasting forever. So when I think of the pain that I've been through over everything that I just mentioned, if I had not cried the tears I cried, if I had not gone through the pain that I went through, if I had numbed myself or distracted myself, then I would not have expanded into the place of knowing I can do it differently now and I will do it differently now. Otherwise, you're just going to go reenact the same situation, attract the same stuff and participate the same way you used to. So I I think that the dark night of the soul is to be respected for the opportunities for growth and the place that they have in life. You know, if you are in psychic pain, psychic pain is like physical pain. It's conveying a message. And, you know, if you have a broken leg, you don't just take morphine. You have to reset the bone. And with psychic pain, we have to reset the thinking that caused it. And just seeking allopathically to eradicate or suppress the symptom through an external remedy, it, that lack of integrative approach to physical healing has been left behind. And, or, or that integrative approach has now been embraced in physical healing, and we need to see the same integrative approach now with um, psychic healing and giving in to this allopathic model of everybody just taking an antidepressant because they're having a rough time, I think bears there's a new look, you know, you can look at Buddha and you can look at, at the story of the Exodus and you can look at, at Jesus and you can look at the, the messages there of what it takes to transcend, not deny, not numb our pain, not deny our pain, but to transcend our pain, to transform our pain. That, that's, the, that's the name of the game. And just, you know, people say you need to take the edge off. Where would we be today? if the abolitionists just hadn't gotten so upset. Mm. Where would we be today if Susan B. Anthony had just known how to chill, honey? Don't create so much drama everywhere you go. We've taken this idea that there's this kind of like emotional flatline is the new cool. It's, it's not cool. You're just taking your hysteria and you're suppressing it. And it will bite you in the ass later. Hmm. Yeah, I really, I, I love that. Transcending and transforming it and... And really, you, your message and your work with A Course in Miracles has really helped many wake up to the whole theme that we, we just moved through that. But also this theme that I, I think is um, also an important part of your book is The Course in Miracles, looking at the world through the lens of love or fear. And why do you think our culture has just gotten more and more and more, um, what do I want to say, separated in our, this mental piece of, of really our inability, either where we see everything as connected, as unity, as oneness, or we're so into this three-dimensional, material, physical realm of separation and we get stuck there. What, what's going on in our culture? What's the well, we picture? have made money, our God, in a way that is 
beyond anything that has ever been true for us. We have become market-based on a level that is insane. We, we put an economic bottom line before everything else. We put an economic bottom line before the health of our children. We put an economic bottom line before the education and well-being of our children. We put an economic bottom line before the health and well-being of our planet. We put a, an economic bottom line uh, before a deep ethical consideration of whether or not we should even go to war against the country. We, yeah. and, and, and we are constantly giving the message, each and every one of us receiving it every other, every other minute, that your worth is dependent on what you've achieved on the outside rather than on who you are as a person. We, we are not teaching our children that your value is based on how ethical you are, how good you are, how compassionate you are. So kids, no wonder our kids are depressed. The messages that they're receiving, plus the violent messages people are receiving on television, people are receiving in the movies, these kids are receiving on, on video games, and let's not kid ourselves. Why are there so many video games? Because somebody's making a lot of money. Why are there so many violent movies and TV shows? Because people are making a lot of money. So I don't see where any of us should be that surprised that things are falling apart. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, but, but the answer is not to numb ourselves to how insane and psychotic it is. The answer is to realign ourselves. Go step back into the light. Step back into the circle of light. The circle of light is the circle of love. And that's why I, I, I don't just leave in the book. You know, I don't just leave you with don't do this. It's all about do that. You know, when, when Buddha tells his four noble truths and his eightfold path. Buddha is a perfect example of how these ancient principles apply. So Buddha says one of his great four, four noble truths is that the things of this world can bring but temporary happiness at best. So we have a culture today where we tell everybody, you figure out what you think would make you happy. And so it's this job or that money or this fame or that accomplishment. And then everybody is then cast into the struggle mode. Everybody's grasping. Everybody's struggling to get here or there, this or that, because we've been told and we've decided this is the thing that will make me happy. But then you're either in despair because it's not here yet or you get it. And then, as Buddha said, things of this world will only bring temporary happiness at best. You get it, and, you know, you're happy for a while, and then the fairy dust inevitably begins to rub off, and then you're in despair because what you thought would make you happy didn't make you happy. So, you know, whether it's kids being told, you know, you can't go out and play, you have to get into Harvard. You know, it's your future we're talking about. And the way, whether you're 10 years old, 15 years old, or 50 years old, the way to take care of your future is to live impeccably in this moment, to rise to the occasion of positivity and goodness and creativity in this moment. So that's an example, as are all of the principles that I discuss about Jesus and Buddha and Moses, where the great religious principles, the, the, the spiritual principles at the center of the great religious teachings have more to teach us about the transformation of suffering than any worldly thinking that we are, you know, surrounded by now. Yeah. 
you know, I, I after our, our first break, I would love to get into those spiritual principles because you bring them so clear and concise in the book, each with a chapter. It's really beautiful, and, and I'd love to go there more. First, I just want to back up for a second because I think what we're talking about is really an important piece, and when you when you're bringing in this cultural expectation of what makes us happy, again we're we're reaching outside of ourselves to you know something that's separate again, and and the thing that I was hearing when you were talking is no wonder another element of this another layer no wonder we're not happy because. Our culture and our media is telling us we will never measure up. We will never be good enough. We will never be. Because then there's nothing left to sell. Exactly. I mean, marketing, consumer marketing is based on the idea that you need this. Now, to a certain point, I mean, there's such a thing as healthy capitalism. Don't get me wrong. But we have so swerved from the ethical center that now instead of you know, capitalism and free market economy is healthy when you are answering to a legitimate need that people have in terms of our mortal existence. What's unhealthy and unethical is where we are creating need. You know, we, we are creating an appetite that is not central to who we are. And that's why these multi-million dollar advertising campaigns for antidepressants, you know, serve to, what the one that just kills me is for Abilify. Abilify is an antipsychotic drug, and it is one of the largest selling prescription drugs in America. And there's this beautiful TV commercial, and it talks about how, you know, maybe the antidepressant that you're taking just, maybe it's not doing enough. Maybe you need this second one on top of it. Once again, it's an antipsychotic drug. So... It's really just a form of making us very docile and kind of turning us all. It's almost like we're stepfordizing ourselves. You know, we, we, we like to think we don't want to be Stepford wise, but here we're all try we're rushing into Stepfordville. <laughs> so true. So true. Well, you know what? I think that I, I love this conversation and, and after our break, I, I love what you said. The atonement is our cosmic reset. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I really want to hear what the spiritual medicine is. And and really, this disease that we've created is really a disease of our mind, of not clearly seeing things from that higher perspective. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm Julie Kroll. We're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, and we're here with Marianne Williamson and her new book, Tears to Triumph. We'll be right back. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! 
cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? <laughs> what? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health problems? Share your story. My sadness and depression grew out of giving myself to my career before I would give myself to myself. And then I am out there speaking in front of thousands of people with a smile pasted on my face but dying on the inside. Hiding sadness makes you more and more sad because it closes you off. And I think that being able to talk about it is so liberating. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. This is Terry Williams, co-founder of the Stay Strong Foundation. It's time for us to wake up, stand up, and speak up. Together we can do this. Search online for stories that heal. We must share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn. Or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again and again. You can do that by visiting our website, thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. So please visit that, drjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. And we're talking today with Marianne Williamson. You can find her at marianne.com and also her Facebook page, Marianne Williamson. And Marianne, right before the break, we were talking just briefly about this, the spiritual medicine, and I really wanted to get into that. And I, I um, last night had a house full of people for a 4th of July celebration, and a, a documentary filmmaker from New York City was there, and he was talking about this sense of, of really an interest in why is it that some people hear the voice of God and others don't, and we began looking at this whole idea that we're disconnected from God or that we're connected to God and what that means. And in your book, you talk about that uh, this medicine, for one, that we're never not connected with God and love, but also that every great religious teaching shows us, gives us a real tangible response to suffering. 
And I think that's an important piece for us to really bring into this conversation. So there's two parts here, Marianne, is number one is we're not disconnected, but also looking at these examples of these great teachers in history throughout religion. In terms of the connection, each and every one of us is connected to God. We are one with God. We are ideas in the mind of God, and an idea does not leave its source. The problem is not that you do not have a direct radio hookup. The problem is that for most of us, most of the time, there is so much static in the radio that you can't hear the station. And that's what the thinking of the world is. The ego mind, which is the mental mindset that repudiates our oneness, repudiates love, repudiates spirit, repudiates innocence, speaks first, speaks loudest. It bombards us all day, every day with the stimulus of the world. So in order to hear what in both Judaism and Christianity is called the still small voice for God, we meditate. That's what meditation is. That's what prayer is. That's why if you wake up in the morning and go directly to the internet, to television, to the newspaper, you download all the insanity of the world. First, before you go to those things, go to your meditation practice, go to your prayer practice, go to your serious spiritual practice, download a more purified mental air. And then you are reconnected you know, the, the, the universe is like a house that's wired for electricity. It doesn't matter what shape the lamp, what form the lamp, what design the lamp, what color the lamp, but it matters whether or not the lamp plugs in. Then it can shed light. So with meditation, with prayer, with forgiveness, with atonement, we plug in to that cosmic electricity without which living in today's world we're not living in the space of light. We're living in that space of darkness. And there it's chaotic and painful and desperate and anxiety-ridden. That's what hell is. Hell is that loveless place. Now, all the great religious systems, they're like a kaleidoscope. All the great religions and spiritual philosophies are like facets from one diamond. So if you take Buddha, for instance. Buddha, and I already mentioned his his four noble truths. He starts with the realization that life is suffering. This, this planet is dominated by a perspective that is so out of alignment with the spiritual truth of who we are that we suffer here. But he understood and delineated because he himself walked the path of what he called the eightfold path that transforms our suffering. And these, these ancient teachings are so relevant to our contemporary experience. For instance, I'll give you an example. He has in there right speech. Well, we, we very, we're very self-indulgent and we're very careless with words. We trash each other. We gossip about each other in negative ways. We criticize each other. We blame each other. We're unkind. Well, when you are sad, instead of seeing yourself as just a victim of a disease or a disorder, if you are a student of the light of Buddha or Jesus or Moses or any of the great religious systems, you realize that there's work for you to do. So right speech is an example. Right livelihood. Right livelihood is a very big deal. You know, right livelihood. How many of us, if we ask ourselves, does what I do for a living really contribute to goodness? Does it contribute to 
making the world a better place? Or is something about the way I make a living actually contributing to things that can be harmful? Well, I think that's a very relevant question in today's world. He also talks about right intention. You know, we we live in a world that everybody talks about intention, the power of intention. Decide what you want and have your intention. Well, so did Hitler. You know, the high spiritual mountaintop is not just that you have an intention and you know how to make things manifest. Buddha talked about right intention and wrong intention. So, you know, there's so much like that. And then in the light of Buddha, I mean, excuse me, in the light of Moses, the story of the the Exodus, you know, all of them are about suffering. Buddha's spiritual journey to enlightenment began with his realization that life is suffering. The story of Exodus begins with God sending Moses to deliver the Israelites from their suffering when they were slaves in Egypt. And, and that right there is a major principle, which is that there is an aspect of consciousness through the power of God that is already on it if you are suffering. You know, you, a deliverer. God sends a deliverer. And the Pharaoh in the story of Exodus is, is, a, is an example, is a symbol for the ego mind, that inner slave driver. And, of course, when God says, let my people go, Pharaoh said, no freaking way. But God kept coming back until he convinced him. And then even when the Israelites were told, you can go now, they were like, I don't know for sure we want to, which is how all of us are. You know, sometimes our, our suffering itself is kind of a perverse comfort zone. And we, we choose the ways of littleness and we choose the ways of a kind of low grade, ain't it awful, because of the changes that would be demanded if we were to make a run for freedom. You know, the Israelites, when, when Moses said, okay, we can go, he said, let's go, Pat, now, go. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we're slaves, but we have enough to eat, you know, we can eat, we can survive. You want us to go out into the, to the desert? Well, we don't even know how to get to this promised land you're talking about. We don't even know for sure there is a promised land. We don't know how we're going to eat. We don't know how we're going to survive. And that is such a profound psychological principle. Now, I've talked about this in other books. You know, you have a choice between the sharp aches of personal growth or, or the dull ache of living an unconscious life for the rest of your existence. So what I try to do is break down the metaphysics of, these, of what Buddha said, the metaphysics of the story of, of Moses and the metaphysics of the meaning of Christ and the fact that salvation is that we love each other. And outside the space of loving each other, there is suffering. Big surprise. You know, there, there, are, there are objective, discernible laws of internal phenomenon, just as there are objective, discernible laws of external phenomenon. You know, I'm not, if, if I'm holding a book in my hands and then I let it go, I know it's going to hit the floor. It, I wouldn't say I'm faithful to the law of gravity. It's just I know the law of gravity. And the same with the law of cause and effect. You give love, you receive love. You give attack, you give blame, you give negativity, that's coming right back at you, just the way it is. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I, I remember um, a line in your book that you're talking about how, uh, you, you know, we're watching all this breakdown around us, like you mentioned earlier in the show. It's like the, the way we were living and making this prophet be this god um, is breaking down. It's not sustainable. But you said something um, to the effect of uh, it's time for us to find, um, to, to uh, let me see if I can 
even just back up here, but it was something about um, it's not about us trying to fit in with this dysfunction. That's not where our healing is. It's it's like even becoming more easily functional in this other realm. That it's not our job to try to to fit into the dysfunction. And we're talking about the breakdown. We're talking about the crazies. And here you're giving us this really nice experience of these religious traditions saying, you know what? There is salvation. And it's really quite simple. Marian, here's another, here's another one of my favorite ones. You were talking about um, how the ego insists that the world be different and that spirit seeks to see the world differently and you offered a real simple prayer around that do you remember that prayer yeah because it's the mental filter you know let's say you're in pain in a relationship and the course of miracles says only what you are not giving can be lacking in any situation so a woman might say, I'm in pain because he doesn't call me enough, or I'm in pain because he doesn't show up this way, or I'm in pain because he doesn't show up that way. And the Course in Miracles and all the great spirits of traditions would say, no, you're in pain because you want him to be different. That's where your pain is coming from. Your pain is that you have an agenda for his life, and he's having the audacity not to act the way you want him to act. The pain is not from what he's denying you. The pain comes from what you're not, what you're denying him. You're denying him permission to be exactly who he is. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily stay with him. I mean, if he's not the person that you want to be with, don't be with him. But don't make this about him. Because that's just the ego mind always seeking a way to judge another person. It's like, it's like a scavenger dog looking for guilt in another person. And that ego mind in you that's finding the guilt in another person is not really trying to punish them. They have their own ego. It's trying to punish you. So the problem was not, my ego says, the problem is that he needs to change. Spirit says, no, the problem is that you need to change. You need to accept him exactly as he is. Mm. And, and what a simple, delicate, and finite place for us to begin practicing seeing the world differently through our thoughts, like shifting that perspective. Well, that's why I have a whole chapter on forgiveness. I have a whole chapter on relationships because forgiveness doesn't mean from a metaphysical perspective, you know, you're so spiritual, they're a jerk, but you're spiritual now, so you forgive them. You know, forgiveness means realizing that beyond all this realm of separation and guilt and mistakes and all of us are wounded and doing the best we can, beyond all that, there's just this river of love. We all just want to love and be loved. That's, that's the only deep reality. You know, I was reading somebody, I can't even remember where it was, but we all know it to be true. They said, you know, when the planes came down in 9-11 and People were calling, you know, from their cell phones, from the buildings and the air, you know, and the, the airplanes and all of that. It was just to tell people they loved them. That, that was the, you know, they knew they were going to die and they just wanted to say that they loved somebody. And there's quite a bit in The Course in Miracles where it says, you can awaken to this now or you can awaken to this at the point of your death, but you're going to see it. You're going to see that anything but love is like, what are we even talking about? 
And the irony is, when you do this, you know, the ego mind says, if all I'm about is love, I'm sacrificing um, all of the good things. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm sitting in my apartment in New York, and it's a very beautiful apartment because it's on, it's on these grounds of this, well, I don't want to get too descriptive because some people might know it, but they're off all these beautiful trees, right? Now, rent in New York is high. So I think to myself, aren't I fortunate that I've sold enough books or enough people come to my lectures and seminars that I can afford this apartment? But then when I think, well, how, how are my books ever successful or my seminars successful on a material level? It's never been from being in an attitude of hustle. And to the extent to which I've ever been in an attitude of hustle, that has diminished my effectiveness and thus diminished my good. But anytime, anytime my work is just a reflection of my doing the best I can to be just to rise to the occasion, to show up, to love, to do my best, to help create the good, the true, and the beautiful, the material plane takes care of you. That's, so it's not that you, oh, then you won't have a career. That's when you will have a career. When you rest into the space where the natural intelligence of the universe supports all things in rising to their best. The embryo doesn't have to struggle to become a baby. The acorn doesn't have to struggle to become an oak tree. The bud doesn't have to struggle to become a, a blossom. And we don't have to struggle. We have to, you know, it's in the Bible, be still and know. And that's what meditation is. When we can just rest into the space of no thing, out of that all things good emerge. Yes. The space of no thing. This is good medicine. This is good spiritual medicine. And um, it brings me to this idea that as we watch all these systems break down that were really built on that profit and greed and, and the whole um, money thing that we were talking about, we're watching the world and many of its systems breaking down. And I'm just wondering right now, you know, there's so much fear. There's so much fear in the world. There's so much fear in our politics. There's fear in our government. There's fear. There's so much fear. What can you offer us in that space of no thing? And, and I just have to say, your book, Illuminata, is like probably my all-time favorite book. I've given it away oh, more times. <laughs> I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I've bought it for so many people in my life. Everyone I love owns a copy. Oh, thank you. Thank you You're so welcome. Much. What, maybe, maybe there's a prayer. Maybe there's some words of comfort, or maybe there's something that comes from that still small voice within you in this moment. What can you say to calm our system into stepping you know, back into that circle of light, back into that love. Fear is to love what darkness is to light. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. You can't hit it with a baseball bat to get rid of it. But if you turn on the light, it automatically disappears. Same with fear. Fear is not a thing. It's the absence of thing. Fear is where the mind goes when it is separated from love. The only way to get rid of fear is to turn on the love. And all the fearful things that have happened in the world 
internally and externally, are consequences of the fact that we have dissociated from love. Mm. That's a love of each other, a love of other countries. And when you see things happening in politics that have to do with separating ourselves from each other, attacking each other, then this breeds fear. And I, I'm not naive, and I, I'm not glib, and I know that what we've got going on now with ISIL, this is, this is a serious, serious issue, and I'm not some knee-jerk pacifist. That's not what I am, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I would therefore eschew all military action under any circumstances, because I, I don't feel that way. But what we even see in our society, um, you look at World War II, and then you see the invasion of Iraq. World War II... Everything about it was sober. It was sober. It was somber. It was undertaken by adults. A very mature consciousness. Very serious. Like, like it did not come from a, from a superficial place. Whereas the war in Iraq, the invasion now seemed to have been such a mistake, to put it mildly. You could, you could see it at the time. It was more like a war fever. It, 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 there was a lack of basic intelligence about it. Why are we doing this? So these are very serious, sober, somber times. And when I say that love is the answer, that doesn't mean a woo-woo kind of love that doesn't recognize that we have real problems with things like ISIL, because we do. But when our hearts are open and we are meditating and we are praying and we are asking for guidance how each and every one of us can be used as vessels to replace the fear because where there is love there cannot be fear so that's got to be the question dear god use me that's the highest prayer use me like with you your radio show with me with a book somebody else your career my career everybody's career that's and that's what buddha meant by right livelihood may what we're about in the world be a channel for the love that will cast out fear. And then when you talk in our political system, you know, America, if, if people go to my, um, to my public Facebook page, yesterday I did a Facebook Live thing about July 4th because the, the second president of the United States, John Adams, said that he hoped that every July 4th we would revisit first principles of the United States. We, we, this is true in our individual lives and it's true in our collective lives. We have problems. Things go wrong in life because we don't spend enough time and energy on proactivating, uh, proactively cultivating that which is right. So things go wrong. If you don't fill your house with light, how can you be surprised that there's darkness? If you don't live your life consciously cultivating the good, the true, and the beautiful, it's time to grow past thinking we can therefore not expect neuroses and pathologies and some really dark stuff to happen. And that's what I think is happening. We are evolving beyond the myth of neutrality. There's no such thing as a neutral thought. Either we are living our lives in service to the good or that which is not good is on its way to our door. Mm. Well, thank you for that. The- you know, we're talking about this spiritual journey from suffering to enlightenment as an individual and as a collective here. You know, we're, we're doing this work and I really appreciate you willing to take this conversation into this bigger collective and then bring it down 
into the individual for the readers of your book because it's it's so powerful that way. So, you know, I think that just hearing you talk about the good, the true, and the beautiful and really making a choice is another one of those um, beautiful spiritual prescriptions for us is to really serve the good. What more, Marianne, we have about four minutes left in our show. What, what message, what words, what prayer in these last four minutes, what might you want to really give to our listeners? Well, and this is bring the home? principle for me. Wake up in the morning and send your love before you. Spend five minutes every morning thinking of everyone you know you're going to meet today and everyone that you don't even know yet that you're going to meet and send your love before you. Think about every meeting, every encounter. Send love. Think about everybody you might have a judgment on and say, God, I surrender this judgment because I know if I hold to this, it's going to throw that relationship out of whack and it will not have a positive result. Know that your own life is your perfect lesson plan, your highly individualized curriculum. Every situation gives you an opportunity to become great where you're already good, but to become good where you're still lost in your woundedness and your triggers. And your woundedness and your triggers will be presented to you so you can heal, so you can choose to act differently. And if you go that deep, with your willingness to be love and to give love and to be a conduit for love on any given day, just know there are millions of us around the world trying to do the same thing, and we're going to turn this ship around. That's what I think we is the thought that if we all share with each other, uh, can form a great collective field of infinite possibility. Beautiful. And you believe in that. We will turn this ship around when we are in this circle of love again. Are you a mother? I am. Okay. You know that fierce thing that rises up when you say to your kids, that will not be happening in this house? It could be about sex, it could be about drugs, whatever. I will not allow it. That will not be happening in this house. It simply will not. You know that fierce place in you? Mm -hmm. We have to become that way about this planet. You know, that's how we are about our children's health. No, my child will get well. my, My child, I will. You know, that fierce thing. We have to be that way about being global citizens. That we, are, that we are not going to allow certain things to happen. This thing is going to turn around because you insist. That thing, it rises up in us as parents. It needs to rise up in us as citizens. It's the same impulse. Beautiful. And that fierceness is about that return to love. That fierceness is we will not allow fear That's to right. overcome us as well. That's exactly right. And when, you're, when you are in that place, of absolute intention that this, this planet is going to be saved now and that we're going to get this stuff right, fear, do, fear doesn't even exist. You do things that later you might look back in retrospect, you can't even believe you had the courage. But in the moment, it didn't even feel courageous because there was no fear. Because where there's all that love, there cannot be fear. Mm. Beautiful. Marianne, this has been really a delight to just hear you bring this book to life on the show and and really dig into the depths of this with me. I really, really appreciate you being with us today. Well, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to do it. Thank you very, very much. And I wish you all the best with your show and all of the great things that you do. Mm, thank you so much. I just want to remind our listeners, we're talking with Marianne Williamson. Her new, her new book, Tears to Triumph, has already hit the New York Times bestselling list. And go to our website, make a comment on the Facebook page, 
we are going to give away three books. So go and and make sure you're a part of that as well. Again, you can find Marianne at Marianne.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, Marianne.com. And what a joy. I want to, remember you, to remind you that together we are creating connections for the greater good of the whole. And until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <music> 